0: Hello, everyone. Shirley here. I help small GovCons grow in the extraordinarily complex, competitive, highly regulated federal marketplace. It's very hard to do, but the reason small businesses put in the capital and the effort is that the contracts are large and spread out over multiple years. The proverbial pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, right? Well, suppose you are smart and are lucky, and you win one or more large contracts and must now deliver. Your wildest dreams have come through. Or is it your worst nightmare? That's what we're talking about today. How do you prepare for and manage rapid growth? What is the right amount of growth? And how do you sustain profitable growth and create market value? To help me answer these and other questions, I reached out to Larry Moss, founder and CEO of Azimuth Consulting, which specializes in leadership development and coaching. Welcome, Larry.
1: Thank you, Shirley. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. Please tell our audience a little about yourself and Azimuth
1: Consulting. Sure. I started Azimuth Consulting in 2019 with a vision to transform leaders, teams, and organizations from normal to a new future reality through customized leadership development and coaching programs. I'm an Army veteran and retired federal senior civilian with over 30 years combined service. I'm passionate about developing leaders who will in turn develop a solid legacy of leadership. I believe everything rises and falls on leadership, and I love what I do.
0: Thank you, Larry. I love what you do too. And I love our topic today because so many small business owners can't imagine that they will not be able to manage rapid growth. So let's start with what is the problem with rapid growth?
1: Well, as the business grows, the founders eventually transition to a leadership role, delegating most of the operational decisions and functions to someone else. However, Growing too quickly could make you lose your focus on essential functions and take on too many tasks, delivering below-par outcomes that lead to frustration within your company and disappointment for your clients. The problem escalates when internal business systems and procedures are mishandled due to everyone being overworked. Inadequate control over budgeting, inventory management, marketing, and sales programs could derail your success as a business.
0: Why does that happen, Larry?
1: Well, when your business starts growing quickly, you'll be forced to improvise to manage increased demand. When business buildup happens too fast and too soon, you won't be able to adhere to your perfect business plan where your operational processes flow smoothly. You may be pressured to hire more people sooner than you anticipated, and you may not be skilled in choosing the right people. Or you may not have the time to redesign your workflow to accomplish the increased demand. While higher demand should lead to higher success, this may not happen if rapid growth results in problems such as new employees are poorly trained, you outgrow your existing office space, or you run into cash flow problems, etc. Leaders must plan for every possible contingency. Often, leaders focus their plan on managing what could go wrong, but it's just as important to plan on what if everything goes right.
0: And I see this often. It's hard enough to manage a business at the size it is now, or some owners think that growth is just more of the same, but it's not. I coach my clients on the business development side of the house that there are different issues that need to be addressed when you grow from $2 million to $10 million. 10 million to 30 million, and then above 30 million because of the procurement structure in the federal marketplace, state and federal regulations that kick in at different phases, and the need to add more discipline and structure to your organization as you grow. But I want to guide our discussion first on how does a company grow? What are the common enemies of growth, and how can leaders defeat them?
1: When it comes to growth, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that the companies can, and often do, grow rapidly in the GovCon sector. The bad news is that continued growth can be difficult to sustain. Growth is never automatic or guaranteed. Organizations don't naturally drift toward growth. They drift toward complacency, complexity, and decline. According to John Maxwell, change is inevitable. Growth is optional. If you're not intentionally preparing for growth, then you're unintentionally preparing for decline.
0: I love that statement, Larry. Another way of putting that is what you feed grows and what you starve dies. So how do companies ensure that they are prepared for success?
1: To make sure we're prepared, we must make sure that we're able and aware of what threatens growth. Four of these threats are unnecessary complexity, unscalable processes, unhealthy mindsets, and underdeveloped leaders.
0: I love that. Let's take these one at a time. Explain unnecessary complexity.
1: Well, growth creates complexity, and complexity is the silent killer of growth. The natural evolution of any organization always moves towards complexity. Fight for organizational simplicity. Never give in to unnecessary complexity. Organizational simplicity is the achievement of maximum results with minimum effort and investment. As you expand, it's easy and normal to introduce new policies, rules, and procedures to manage all the action. It's the natural progression of organizations. They never grow towards simplicity on their own.
0: I have certainly seen that and experienced it. How do you keep things simple?
1: One of the top goals as a leader is to kill complexity before complexity kills growth. The problem is if a team or a company operates with complexity, they cannot operate with speed. This is why so many organizations experience growth and then taper off or can't seem to get back to the season of rapid growth. It's, Important to remove barriers to organizational simplicity. Barriers such as unnecessary rules, policies, layers, or meetings. Look for anything that slows the pace or complicates the process. Do your best to eliminate organizational slack. Now, if you don't know where the slack is, ask your team. They know exactly where the extra steps or delays are. Once you have feedback, make the changes. Changes may include flattening the organization structure. Streamlining communication, empowering lower level leaders, or eliminating anything that slows progress. Another barrier to organizational simplicity is low value activities or distractions. Any activity that no longer adds value or things that cost more emotional and physical energy than they're worth should be evaluated. Ask yourself is this activity really moving the needle? Don't confuse activity with productivity. Great organizations start losing their greatness when they start or continue doing things that don't add value.
0: That is very good advice, Larry. I just finished the book, Playing to Win. A.G. Lafley, one of the authors and the former CEO of Procter & Gamble, talks about simplicity from a strategic perspective, which reinforces your point. He states that clear, simple strategies have the best chance of being implemented because they can be best understood and internalized by the organization. Now let's talk about threat number two.
1: The next threat to defeat unscalable processes. Picture a three-legged stool. For the stool to grow taller, each of the three legs need to grow equally or the stool will not be steady. If one or more elements that drive growth in your organization can't scale to match your growth, the growth will stall out. To be clear, growing is different than scaling. Growing increases revenue or results at a consistent pace. Scaling increases revenue or results at an exponential rate.
0: I'm so glad you clarified that, Larry. That's why I chose Scale to Market as the name of my company. Scaling has geometric implications. But continue with your explanation.
1: Well, to defeat the enemy of unscalable processes, create a defined, reproducible path to growth. A definable growth flow. A definable growth flow identifies the specific drivers that contribute to the growth of your unique team or organization. You may accidentally grow, but you'll never grow to scale without identifying your definable growth drivers. If you can't define it, then you can't accomplish it.
0: Explain what you mean by growth drivers.
1: Well, your growth drivers will often revolve around the people, processes, and economic engine of your organization. Growth drivers must be active and maturing at the same pace. If anyone lags behind, you won't be able to scale. I
0: agree. My focus, of course, uh, is on my clients' economic engines. I develop a market-driven, data-intensive, federal business development playbook that includes agencies, opportunities, contract vehicle strategies, and the organizational structure and discipline to implement the playbook. But the biggest challenge is for the whole organization to evolve to execute that plan and manage the resulting growth. And of course, that's, that's why we're talking today. Let's talk about the third threat, unhealthy mindsets.
1: Well, unhealthy mindsets create unhealthy organizations. A few examples of unhealthy mindsets are complacency, pride, risk aversion, stagnancy, misinformation, and misjudging of reality, competition, disinterest, distraction, apathy, greed, and on and on. To defeat unhealthy mindsets, cultivate a growth mindset. There's two books that talk about this subject, and they're The Founder's Mentality, How to Overcome the Predictable Crisis of Growth by Chris Zook and James Allen, and Mindset, The New Psychology of Success by Carol Dweck.
0: We will put links to those books in the podcast notes. I deal with companies at the strategic level. Which agencies do we target? How do we define our products and services to truly meet our clients' often unexpressed needs, what teaming strategy should we deploy to position ourselves for growth in this highly competitive market. The biggest mindset issue I address among members of the executive team is transitioning from advocacy and argument for their ideas and opinions toward an exploration of the thoughts and opinions of their peers. This is very hard for many executives to do. So what do we know about mindsets?
1: Mindset determines direction. Dweck outlines two kinds of mindset. A fixed mindset that is unwilling to move or change and a growth mindset that is flexible and adaptable. The growth mindset says, I can get better or I'm not good at this yet. Just as individuals have self-esteem, low or healthy, Organizations also have an identity called organizational esteem. It's how we see ourselves as a team or company. If you want to change your organization, change how people think.
0: That makes a lot of sense. But how do you change how people think?
1: Well, the most important thing for leaders to do is make change a priority. One of Newton's laws of thermodynamics was that a body at rest tends to stay at rest. Slowing down, stopping, and staying at rest doesn't require effort at all. It happens naturally. Many change efforts are not successful because they become one of a 100 priorities. To make change efforts successful, you need to clear away the competing priorities and shine a spotlight on this one change effort. Leaders who do this well have a daily focus on the change effort. Track its progress carefully and encourage others. Another important area is creating a culture of trust. People are likely to change the way they think if they don't trust the leaders that are encouraging them to do so. Trust is the very foundation of all relationships in business and in life. If your people see you as trustworthy, they will believe in you and your vision.
0: I agree. And trust is created through integrity, honesty, and fairness. And the final threat you mentioned is having underdeveloped leaders.
1: Yes, underdeveloped and incapable leaders will eventually hold your team or group back from growth. Or they'll be outpaced by the growth around them and left behind. The potential of your organization rests on the strength of its leaders.
0: This is so critical, Larry. I want to explore this threat a little more. If founders desire to scale their organizations, they must be able to delegate to a competent executive team. I love Noam Wasserman's book, The Founder's Dilemma, which dives into the king or rich paradigm. It describes the decisions founders must make if they want to grow their businesses. Do I want to remain king and control everything, or do I give up control and become rich? And although 80% of founders say they want to be rich, in actuality, only 20% take the actions to develop leaders and delegate authority. I would like to hear your perspective on how leaders can be developed.
1: Look around your organization. Are you giving people adequate, important, and necessary feedback? Are you giving them permission to fail? Growth always involves the risk of failure. So we need to give our people room to fail. Remember, people grow best in the game. Don't create a separate growth track or growth course for some leaders. Your whole organization should be on a growth track. Growing leaders is not a program. It's part of our culture. The strategy for defeating the enemy of underdeveloped leaders, don't just see people as the means to get something done. See getting things done as a tool for developing people. As Andy Stanley says, two of the greatest words you can say to people are, you decide. And what happens if people fail? It's okay. We're not seeking perfection. We're seeking growth.
0: That is very scary for many founder CEOs who have never gone down that path. Their executive team will never do things exactly as the founder or CEO would have.
1: Anytime you trust people as they're developing, you're likely to see a short-term dip in quality. Perhaps you could have done a certain task in one hour, and it takes a new leader two hours. That's the dip. It's expected, and it's worth it as you're allowing leaders to grow. Identify the growth drivers unique to your industry and organization. What are the specific things that propel you forward? Most organizations have somewhere between three and seven core growth drivers. More than seven, and you may be overcomplicating the whole assignment. Your growth drivers will often revolve around the people, processes, and economic engine of your organization. Look at these areas and determine if they're all growing and maturing at the same rate. If any are lagging behind or have grown dormant or stale, create a plan to invigorate that area so that all the growth drivers are working in units.
0: Very good advice, Larry. We need to take a break. I'm talking to Larry Moss, founder and CEO of Azimuth Consulting, on how to prepare for and scale your business for exponential growth. When we come back, we'll talk about where to invest valuable resources. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: This Growthmasters Federal presentation is hosted by Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and build market value by developing and executing customized data-driven business development playbooks, building efficient information systems, and creating high-performing BD teams. Utilizing the proprietary Davy Business Development Growth Framework, Scale to Market partners with business owners and executives to increase their company's value by achieving profitable and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. Email shirley at scollier at scale to market.com to learn more about the Davy Growth Framework and how it can be instrumental in helping grow your federal contracting business. Back now to Shirley's conversation with Larry Moss, founder and CEO of Azimuth Consulting, as they discuss how to transform your GovCon to accommodate rapid and profitable growth.
0: Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about the four threats to profitable growth. Now let's talk about where to invest your valuable resources.
1: This is a matter of resource allocation. Now, resource allocation is investing your available resources in the present to accomplish your goals and objectives in the future. It's easy to get caught up in balancing competing needs and priorities when we feel bound by resource limitations. When the average person thinks about allocating resources, it's easy to view resources as limited. After all, we only have so much time and money to spend, right? Well, let's look at it from a different angle. When you spend something, you're using it up or paying it out. You're making an even trade. But when you're investing, you don't expect an equal return. You expect an exponentially larger one.
0: Absolutely. But how do you ensure that you are investing and not just spending?
1: Well, there are two things you need to do before you start allocating your resources. First, clearly define your win. You can't accomplish what you don't define. If you don't know the win, you'll spend your resources. If you know the win, you can invest your resources in the right direction. Defining the win impacts what you do daily. Second, Take inventory of what you have to work with. Don't limit your inventory to what is obvious, like financial assets or space. You have time. You have energy. You have people and the combined knowledge of your team. You have more to work with than you realize. Once you've defined your win clearly and taken inventory of all the resources you have, intentionally invest your resources in the direction of the desired result. Ask yourself and your team, What has the highest potential return on investment?
0: Once you've identified that, what you think has the highest potential return on investment, how do you actually get that return on investment?
1: To get the highest return on your investment, you'll need to be different than most leaders in a few key ways. Most leaders decide how to spend money. You'll need to agonize about how to invest it. Most leaders want to use people to get to the desired result. You'll need to invest in helping leaders get better so that ultimately the whole organization can get better. And most leaders spend their time doing tasks. You'll need to intentionally invest your time achieving desired results. Rapid growth can cause leaders to focus on the current successes and not look forward to what is next. And this can ultimately lead to complacency and result in missed opportunities. Maintaining an attitude of intentionality enables leaders to look beyond the horizon and invest in the next growth opportunity.
0: And Larry, what is the most important investment in your opinion?
1: The most important investment is your people. No company can succeed without its people.
0: I agree. But how do you make sure you are hiring and retaining the right talent?
1: Well, you know, rapid growth creates immediate needs need for personnel and resources, and it's easy to get overwhelmed and feel pressured to put people in seats instead of making sure that you have the right person in the appropriate seat. Jim Collins talks about getting the right people on the bus or your company in his book, Good to Great. This requires forethought on the part of leadership. It requires that your values be an integral part of your vision and mission for your company. It is all part of building a strong organizational culture, creating an organizational culture that will attract and retain the best people while ensuring you provide the best service possible for your clients and customers. To overcome the challenge of hiring the right people, organizations need to be better at hiring for cultural fit. Culture fit is about seeking out those who have a positive attitude and core values that align with your organization's core values. The basis of culture-driven recruiting is hiring on aptitude and attitude first. Larry,
0: how do you define organizational culture?
1: Organizational culture is the collection of beliefs, values, and methods of interaction that create the environment of an organization. Every organization has a culture, whether company leadership builds and maintains it purposely or allows it to grow on its own. An organization's culture defines how individuals work and function, making it a crucial element of a company's success. The culture in an organization governs many things, from how it makes decisions to how employees interact. The culture is what retains the talent.
0: And as you mentioned, it is what attracts talent. Let's end our discussion by revisiting the growth mindset, but this time of leaders already experiencing exponential success.
1: Well, it can be tempting to sit back and ride the wave of success. The problem is that the wave will eventually subside and break on the shore. As Marshall Goldsmith says in his book of the same title, what got you here won't get you there. The very phrase presumes that you've already arrived someplace, good at your job, role, position. But you want to grow, grow better, even smooth out your rough edges. This concept is the same with any business, regardless of the market sector. Now, I'm not talking about processes and systems that you have in place, but the focus of your leadership. So to answer the question, leaders have a growth mindset.
0: I have seen small GovCons win one large contract and either fail to execute successfully on it or they don't win additional contracts afterwards. What is your advice to prevent this?
1: The leader must continue to grow if the company is going to grow. Goldsmith knows that who we are as human beings, especially as leaders, must evolve and change over time. It's easy to believe that if you simply keep doing what you have been doing, you will continue to grow. The problem with this is that the environment is changing, so you must change with it. It's important that leaders continue to look for new opportunities that a changing environment may present. A growth mindset is always focused on what could be, not what is, even if that what is, is success.
0: As we conclude our discussion, I would like to summarize our key points in the context of small GovCon CEOs. Growth requires intentional action. Whereas I focus on the strategic business development thinking and actions organizations must take to position themselves to win profitable federal contracts, leaders in the company must execute. CEOs must develop and delegate authority to others in their companies to take their businesses to the next level. Larry discussed threats to growth, mindsets, and the organizational culture that fosters both individual and company growth. In my experience, GovCon CEOs who think and act strategically and build leaders in their companies are the ones who experience exponential, profitable growth in the highly regulated, competitive, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with our audience today, Larry.
1: Thanks for having me, Shirley.
0: It's been great. Folks, if you would like to get in touch with Larry, he can be reached at Larry at azimuthconsultingllc.com, or you can reach out to us here at Skelton Market, and we'll make sure you're connected. This is Shirley Collier, president of Skelton Market and host of the Growth Masters Federal Podcast, signing off for now. As we close, I want to thank you for joining us today and encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn and visit our website, that's scaletomarket.com with the number two in the middle, where you will find our library of podcasts, webcasts, white papers, my blog, and other links and resources. While there, please leave us a comment or suggestion so we can stay focused on what's important to you. We'll see you next time.